This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We start tonight's program by going back to 1947. What were audiences seeing and hearing that year? Well, a UFO allegedly was found July 7th in the Roswell UFO incident. An unknown object crashed in the general vicinity of Roswell, New Mexico. Now, the United States Armed Forces insisted it was a high-altitude surveillance balloon. But personnel from the field's 509th Bomb Group recovered a crashed flying disc from a ranch nearby. The popular holiday-themed film Miracle on 34th Street premiered in the United States during May. That classic film featured Maureen O'Hara, John Payne, Edmund Gwynn, and Natalie Wood in the starring roles. And in 1947, Jackie Robinson took to the field for the Brooklyn Dodgers, becoming the first African-American to play in Major League Baseball. And on radio, 1947, audiences were following the adventures of Sergeant Preston and his dog, Yukon King. And here's the episode entitled, The Puppy. The Challenge of the Yukon. It's King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the North Country, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. On King! On Gold, gold discovered in the Yukon, a stampede to the Klondike in the greedy race for riches. Now back to the days of the gold rush when Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog King battled through storm and snow to preserve law and order as they met the challenge of the Yukon. Sergeant Preston, with his dog King at his side, knocked at the door of Jim Crane's cabin on the outskirts of Dawson. The door was opened by young Tommy, Jim's 12-year-old son. Hello, Sergeant Preston. Come in. How are you, King, old fella? How are you, Tommy? Your father here? He'll be here any minute now, I think. Uh, He went over to Tim Lacey's to look at some furs. Take your park off and sit down, Sergeant. Thanks, Tom. I came over to have a look at those sled dogs your dad has to sell. They're out in the kennels. Did, did Dad tell you that Vixen had her pups? Yes. They're uh, about ten days old now, aren't they? Yeah, and the cutest things you ever saw. Huh? I've got one of them right here in this box. Well, will King hurt him if I show him to you? Oh, no. King won't hurt a puppy. Come here, King. Down, boy. Oh, look at him, Sergeant. Isn't he a beauty? Oh, I should say so. Let's have a look at you, young fellow. Well... It's a good dog. Nice bones and build. His stomach is all swollen up. I guess he ate too much dinner. <laughs> that reminds me of the last case I was on. Was it that bank robbery? Yes, Tom. I just got back a few days ago. I heard something about it. Gee, Sergeant, what happened? Will you tell me about it? As long as you're going to be waiting for Dad, you'll have time. Why, sure. But you'd uh, 
Better put this little fellow back in his box. I think he's sleepy. Guess I'd better. He always gets sleepy after he eats. There you are, Spot. Go to sleep. Chief Sergeant, I've been waiting to hear about you getting those robbers. You discovered that the bank had been robbed before anybody, didn't yes, you? Yes, I did. But the robbery was evidently planned about a week before. There were two men who arrived in Dawson about that time with the names of Hank Sims and Tim Johnson. They came into the Gold Nugget Bar quite often, but didn't mix with the other men very much. However, they did manage to meet Jed Wilcox, the old man who sleeps in the back room of the bank. They called him to their table one night. Look over there, Tim. That's the old codger I was telling you about. He don't look very dangerous. <laughs> you sure he's the one who guards the bank? Pretty sure. He's coming this way. This is as good a time as any to find out. Uh, hello, mister. Uh, oh, howdy. Well, I don't remember seeing you in town before. You strangers? <laughs> Sit down and get acquainted. Uh, I won't be able to stay with you long. I got to go to work. You don't work at night, do you? Yep, I do. I came up to the Yukon to look for gold, same as everybody else, but my luck ran out on me, I guess. Before I hit any pay dirt, I had a bad accident. I slipped on some ice and injured my back. I was in a pretty bad spot, I can tell you. Are you the bank clerk? Oh, no, no. I ain't very good at figures. I just sleep in the back room, watching it from night. That sounds easy enough. Well, it ain't too hard, but it don't pay much. I guess I'm lucky to be working at all, though. Hank and Tim waited almost a week before going ahead with their plan. They bought a good dog team and loaded up with supplies. Then at midnight, one night when it was snowing and cold and the town was quiet, they drove up to the bank. Can you get it open, Tim? Getting locks open is my business. This is nothing. There, it's open. Easy now. You get over and turn that lantern down a little. Someone might see us from the street. I'm going to need a little light to crack that safe. There ain't anybody on the street. We're safe enough. I hope old Jed is a sound sleeper. Yeah. Oh, you clumsy fool. I couldn't help it. It slipped out of my hand. You woke the old man up. Get over there beside that door. Who, who's there? Hey, what are you doing? Yeah, that did it. He won't give us any trouble now. Hey, good. I wonder if the old duffer saw me. He didn't get a chance. I got him the minute he stuck his head in. I'll tie him up and gag him. Now you get back and see what you can do about that safe. We better get out of here fast. I was coming home from a patrol north and got into town early that morning before anybody was up. When I passed the bank, I noticed that the door was open. I stopped the dog team and decided to have a look. <laughs> Parking! Oh, you huskies! Hey, King, come along, come on. Oh, that's funny. There's nobody here. What is it, King? Jed. Uh, wait a minute. I'll get that gag out of your mouth. There. Are you hurt? Uh, thanks, Sergeant. I'm hurt, but not too bad. Good. I'll untie these ropes. There. Oh, I've been lying on this floor all night. I'm cold and stiff. I'll help you up, Jed. 
Now, sit over here near the stove. There's not much fire in it, but I'll poke it up. Uh, the bank's been robbed, Sergeant. Tell me about it while I fix this fire. Oh, I got a lump on my head the size of a hen's hay. They hit me with the butt of a gun. Huh? Lucky I got a good thick head. I wouldn't be here to tell you about it. Did you get a look at them at all? Yes, I saw one of them. Huh? It's a man who's been hanging around the Gold Nugget Bar for about a week. He's a big fellow with a scar on his face from his left eye down to his lip. His beard don't cover it. You know his name? Well, I heard the bartender call him Hank one night. Maybe he can tell you something about it. I'll check there later. Now, uh, tell me what happened. Well... I sleep in the back room here, you know. Yes? Well, last night I woke up and thought I heard a noise. I keep a lantern burning in here all night. So I got my gun and came to see what was wrong. When I opened the door, I saw this Hank standing in the middle of the room. Just then, something hit me from behind. His partner was probably waiting beside the door when you opened it. I never knew what hit me. When I woke up, I was tired and gagged and couldn't move a muscle. It's a wonder they didn't kill you. This, this Hank fella didn't know what a good look I got of him. Or he probably would have. He, he just happened to be standing where the lantern light showed up that scar on his face. Well, how much did they take? We had over $50,000 worth of gold in this bank. And they took every bit of it, I suppose. Well, we checked, and the thieves had taken everything they could carry. $50,000 worth of gold and dust and nuggets is a heavy load. It had snowed early that morning, but I remembered seeing rather a fresh trail when I came into town. The tracks were deep, and the snow hadn't quite filled them. I hadn't passed a sled or a team on the way, so they may have heard me coming and hidden. I reported the case to headquarters and asked to be assigned to it. Inspector Grayson gave me my instructions. Oh, uh, Sergeant, I'm sending a man with you on this case. It's Corporal Terry. Just been transferred here from Montreal. You've met him, haven't you? I met him this morning, sir. Jim Terry's a good man, but this is his first trip north. Knowing the north the way you do, Sergeant, I can't think of a better way for him to learn than going on a case with you. Well, thank you, sir. We have a very accurate description of these men who robbed the bank. You can't miss Hank Sims, as he calls himself, with that scar on his face. The man who's with him has two fingers missing on his left hand. His name is Tim Johnson. I'm sure they must have left town by the trail that I came in on, sir. That's very possible, Sergeant. I think you and Corporal Terry had better try that direction. Perhaps you can pick up some information at trading posts or from trappers along the way. At least it's a place to start. Remember, they have a heavy load, Sergeant, and won't be able to travel very fast. I was glad to have young Corporal Terry with me. We seldom travel alone at this time of year because the temperature is liable to drop to 50 or 60 below zero. And it's very dangerous to be alone on the trail when that happens. Corporal Terry's initiation to the ways of the North Country wasn't easy. First day we were out, the temperature fell to 65 below zero. So we holed up in the trapper's cabin for a day or two. But the men we were after didn't dare to stop. They had a heavy load on their sled and didn't want to be seen by anybody. Hank Sims and his partner, Tim Johnson, were mushing along the trail that led along a creek when the temperature dropped. Tim wasn't used to the north. Hank, we gotta stop and build a fire. This cold is eating right into my bones. Yeah, we can't stop. The 
This ain't the time to go soft. They'll have a Mountie on our trail by this time, sure. But my foot's numb. Keep moving. If you stop, you'll freeze. Uh-oh. My foot. Hank, wait. Oh, oh there. Hank, my foot broke through. It's wet. Oh, you fool. I told you to watch out for spots like that on this creek. I get that boot off right away. Yeah. How can there be water when it's so cold? This creek is fed by springs. The snow and ice freezes over the top, but there's a pool of water under it. I told you to watch out. Now get a fire belt. Hank, my hand, my fingers are numb. I can't open these laces. You should have cut them open. Your hand is frozen. Don't you know you can't take off a mitten in this temperature? Oh, why did I bring you with me, you stupid fool? Hank, my foot, there ain't no feeling in it. I... I can't walk. By the time I build a fire and get your foot fixed, we'll lose hours of time. Maybe I could ride on the sled. Maybe we could like it. We got it. too big a load now. If you think we're going to drop off supplies so you can ride, you're crazy. But, Hank, my foot's froze solid. It's like a piece of ice. I ain't going to lose time just because you're a fool. I told you to be careful. Hank, Hank, don't leave me. I, I can't walk. Marsh! Marsh, you huskies! Marsh! Hank, come back. Don't leave me. Hank! Hey! Two days later, Corporal Terry and I were mushing along that same creek. We weren't at all sure that we were on the trail of the thieves, but I was heading for a trading post where I hoped Hank might have stopped. All of a sudden, King barked up ahead of the team. Oh, how are you, Huskies? Something wrong, Sergeant? Yes, Corporal. Look there, beside the creek. You mean that uh, white figure? Looks like a snowman. It's a man covered with snow. Come on. Look out, Terry. Go around that place. That's one of those traps I was telling you about. There's a spring under the ice right there. I got to watch where I was going. Yes, King. It's a man, all right. Why, look. He froze to death setting up. They were fools to try and travel at low temperature, and they didn't know the country too well. Sergeant, do you think he's one of the men we're after? Yes. Now we know we're on the right trail. Look here, Corporal. His left hand, the one without the mitten. Two fingers are missing. But the other one, the other man, uh... Hank, why didn't he take him on the sled or something? Well, you see this foot? Has ice all over it, like an icy boot. Tim probably stepped into a hole, and Hank didn't want to waste any precious time saving him. But to leave him like this, to freeze. I know, we know what kind of a man we're after. But he's left a clear trail in the snow. Yeah, but look, it's beginning to snow. Big flakes, too. This trail will be covered in less than an hour. Or at least we know what territory he's in, Sergeant. We covered Tim's body with branches and went on. The temperature was higher, but the snowfall was very heavy, and we lost a lot of time breaking the trail. Complete darkness had fallen when we were about five miles past the trading post, and I headed for the lights of the Cranson cabin. The Cransons were friends of mine. The Cransons will put us up tonight, Corporal. You're a nice family. You'll like them. A family, you say? You mean a wife, maybe children? Yes, a little girl. Her name's Jane, and she's about ten years old. Why would a man bring a wife and child way out here in the wilderness? Jim makes a good living trapping in winter, and he takes a lot of gold out of the creek in summer. He'll have enough to retire soon and go back to civilization. Oh, uh, they must have heard us coming. There's Jim now. Who is it? It's Preston, Jim. Working. Well, Sergeant... I'm sure glad to see you. This is Corporal Terry, Jim Cranson. Hey, hello, Corporal. Oh, Can you put us up for the night? I sure can. Good. Molly has supper ready, too. 
Come on in. I'll take care of the dog, Sergeant. You go on in. Well, thanks, Corporal. Give them a lot of food. They've had a tough day. I'll take King in with me. Come on, boy. Oh, Molly. It's Sergeant Preston. Hello, Molly. Sergeant, how are you? Sergeant Preston. Oh, goody. Hello, Jane. How's my best girl? Oh, Sergeant, I'm so glad you came. I've got something to show you. Huh? Look, over here by the stove. Jane, give the sergeant time to take his park off. Oh, he can do it later, Mommy. Look, I got a new puppy. Oh, King won't hurt him, will he? No. Go on back, King. Why, <laughs> he's a beautiful pup. Do you want to hold him? Come on, Frisky. Oh, he's nice. But... Great Scott, look at that stomach. <laughs> He's swollen up like a balloon. <laughs> Jane fed him too much. Oh. Jim and I went to the trading post this afternoon. We got back just a little while ago, and Jane had just finished overfeeding I him. See. I thought he must be very hungry because he ate half of one of my moccasins, so I gave him all he could hold. He sure can hold a lot, too. Well, puffs are little gluttons, Jane. They like to eat. But getting all they can hold isn't too good for them. He swells up like that after all his meals. So would you if you ate the way he does. <laughs> well, he'll get skinny again. He always does. I never saw anything get so fat and skinny so fast. <laughs> Put the puppy on the floor, Sergeant, and take your park off. There you go, Frisky. Now be nice to him, King. Jane, you see that they make friends with each other. I will. Look at Frisky. He's so afraid of King. He's lying on his back and waving his feet in the air. Uh, let me Come take on. your things, Sergeant. Oh, uh, thanks, Jim. Make yourself comfortable beside the fire. Thanks, I will. Dog's all right for the night. Oh, Molly, this is Corporal Terry, Mrs. Cranston. How do you do? How do you do, Mrs. Cranston? Jim will take your park, Corporal. Just sit down and get warm. Oh, thanks. I'll have supper ready in no time. Yeah, Jim. Oh, this fire certainly feels good. Are you boys up here for any special reason? We're trailing a bank robber, Jim. He got away with a fortune in gold. You haven't seen anything of a man with a scar on his face and a black beard, have you? Well, a couple of days ago, right after that coal spill we had, I saw a man with a six-dog team. Oh? I was coming home from my trap line. He crossed the trail just as I was coming to it. I yelled at him, thinking he might be someone I knew. But he didn't stop. He just waved and kept right on going. Was he packing a heavy load? He sure was. His dogs were having a rough time breaking a trail. Sounds like our man. The time would be about right, too. He was headed towards the mountains. He may hide out somewhere around here for a while. If I were you, Jim, I'd keep Jane close to the house for a few days. It's lonely around here. I'll do that, Sergeant. By a streak of good fortune, we picked up Hank's trail again the next day. My team was fresh, and we made excellent time over the hard snow crust. That night, we camped out and got an early start the following morning. The mountains loomed close now. It was noon when we came upon a campsite. Working! Oh, you huskies! This looks like the place Hank slept last night, Terry. Do you think we're that close on his heels? Yes, he's lost time somewhere. Of course, he hasn't given his dogs much rest, and they're pulling a lot of weight. We can go about twice as fast. How do you suppose he figures to get up that mountain trail with a tired team? I think that's where we'll catch him, Corporal. Unless he outsmarts us some way. If he once gets through those mountains, he might be able to make the border. He's not going to get through those mountains. Come on. On King! On your huskies! We had no trouble following Hank's trail then. The wind had blown the loose snow away and left a hard-packed crust. 
But here and there, Hank's sled had made an imprint, and now and then we saw footprints where the snow was protected from the wind. There was very little daylight left when we approached the mountains. The trail led up like a great curved snake, and jagged rocks hung over it. Suddenly, there was a gunshot. I heard the whine of a bullet past my head and a dull plot as it hit the snow. I shouted at the dogs. Okay, oh, your huskies. Get down, Terry, behind the sled, quick. Say, that was close. Back here, King. Here, fella. Down, boy. Hank must have seen us coming. He's up on that mountain trail to the left, behind those rocks. He's probably been watching for us. There. I saw him that time. He couldn't wait any longer. It's getting dark. Hope he doesn't shoot the dogs. Guess we were closer to him than we thought we were. Wish we had more shelter. Maybe I can get a bead on him. That worked from this side. It's hard to see him in that shadow. Sergeant, look. Up above him. Those rocks. Those shots started an avalanche. We're all right. We're not in this path. Gosh, I never saw anything like that in my life. Looked as if half the mountain fell on him. I'm afraid that's the end of Hank. <laughs> He's buried under tons of ice and rock. And I'm afraid that's the end of the bank's gold, too. It's buried with him. Look, can a shot start an avalanche like that? Oh, yes. The rocks get loaded with ice and snow, and any slight jar can start them down. And once started, they take everything in their path. It was the most horrible thing I ever saw. Glad we weren't any closer. I think it's safe to go over there now. Come on, Terry. Let's see what we can find. All right, Sergeant. It's hard to believe a shot can do. Of course, our task was a hopeless one. We couldn't even get near the spot where Hank had last been seen. There were tons of ice and rocks covering the trail, and Hank was buried far beneath them. We camped at the base of the mountain that night and started back the following day. I decided to stop on the way home to tell the Cransons that they no longer had to worry about a criminal in that vicinity. It was about noon, two days later, when we arrived at their cabin. Booking! Hello, Corporal. We're back sooner than I thought we'd be, Molly. Come on in. Jim and Jane aren't here, but they will be soon. Sit down and take your coats off while I make some hot tea. Thanks. I could sure use some. Did you get the man you were after? Not exactly, but he won't bother anyone anymore. He's dead. Dead? Oh, dear. He got caught in an avalanche right in front of us. It buried him and all the gold he stole. Won't they be able to recover it? I'm afraid not. Well... At least the country's rid of a thief and a murderer. When I think of him leaving that man to freeze, it's worth all the money to be rid of him. The bank won't be too happy about it, I'm afraid. What'd you say Jim was? He's out with Jane looking for Frisky. Pup's been gone for a day and a night, and Jane's almost frantic. Oh, Sergeant Preston. I'm so glad you came back. You and King will find Frisky. I know you will. Tell me about it, Jane. Jane, dear, Sergeant Preston can't waste time hunting for puppies. He's on duty. Oh, but I love Frisky. He's the only thing that's all mine. And, and if I don't find him, I'll just die, that's all. Now, Jane, dear, don't cry. Of course we'll help you find your pup. You... you will? Oh, Sergeant, I just knew you would. Really, Sergeant... It's too much to ask you to do this. It will take too much time. Jane, dear, you now, can't... Now, Molly, after all, Jane's a citizen. She lost her puppy, and she has a right to ask the law to help her get it back. What do you say, Corporal Terry? I agree with you. You see, Molly? Oh, thank you. I knew you'd know how I felt, because you love King so much. Now, tell me about Frisky. 
When did he disappear? Well, it was yesterday morning. He ran away from me, and I couldn't go after him because Mother made me promise not to go away from the house. I'm so afraid he got caught in a trap or something. Daddy's still looking for him. But I thought I heard King barking, so I came back to the house. Oh, there's Daddy now. Daddy, did you find him? No, Jane. Hello, Sergeant. Hello, Jim. How are you, Terry? That's fine. Did you lose track of the robbery you were chasing? No, we got him, but I'd better tell you about it later, Jim. Sergeant Preston, Corporal Terry are going to help us find Frisky. Well, I'm afraid it's hopeless, Jane. I've looked pretty thoroughly. Didn't he leave any tracks? Well, there were some leading away from the cabin where the snow was loose, but they end over here a ways. The snow crust is hard, the wind blew the loose snow away. He was alight, he didn't leave any tracks on the crust. Well, at least you know what direction he took. Well, he was a strong pup. I'm afraid he wandered a long way off. Maybe got caught in a trap. Or oh. Wolf may have got him. Oh, Daddy, no. Sergeant Prince. No, don't worry, Jane. Maybe King can help us find him. Oh, King knows him. They got to be good friends when you stayed here that night. Well, this is too much to ask of you, Sergeant. You lose too much time. <laughs> After being on a manhunt, <laughs> this seems rather foolish. Not at all, Jim. Frisky means more to Jane than that gold does to the bank. I know how I'd feel if King were missing. Oh, can we start looking right now? Well, first of all, we have to let King know what we're looking for, dear. Uh, have you anything here that smells like Frisky so that King can get the scent? Oh, dear. I brushed Frisky so much and kept him so clean that he didn't smell at all. Well, uh, well that's not what I mean, Jane. You see, dogs can smell things that humans can't. Everything has some sort of scent, and a dog's nose is very keen. He depends on that more than he does his eyes. Uh, Frisky's blanket is in his box. Would that do, Sergeant? Well, that'll be fine, Molly. I'll let King smell that, and we'll find Frisky if he's still alive. I'll get it, Sergeant. I just know King will find Frisky. I've trained King to find things by giving him the scent and telling him to search. We found a lot of people that way by letting him smell a garment they've worn. Well, we took Frisky's blanket with us and followed the tracks he'd left. They went north and ended, as Jim said, where the snow crust was hard and shiny. I let King smell the blanket, and from there on, he took over. We crisscrossed back and forth for a time, and then a light wind came up from the north. Suddenly, King sniffed the air, whined, and started off in a straight line. We were almost a mile from the cabin, but little James struggled along with us. King would wait for us, and then continue straight ahead. All right, King, we're coming. Oh, I think he knows where Frisky is, Sergeant. He seems to be after something, Jane. Jane, dear, uh, aren't you tired? Why don't you wait here for us? I'm not tired, Daddy. Sergeant, King seems to have found something. He's stopping beside that big rock. I see King, but I don't see any sign of Frisky. Maybe he found a rabbit or something. Oh, King knows what he's looking for. Oh, I hope it's Frisky. There's a pile of small rocks piled up against that big one. What is it, fella? He's scratching at those rocks. Looking through that crack between them. Listen. Move these rocks and get him out of there. Come on, Terry. I'll help it. See how he got in here. This one will do it. Ah, here he is. Oh, oh, Frisky. I'm so glad to get you back. Look at him. Look how fatty is that stomach. After being in there for two days. Wait a minute. Come on, boys. Help me move some more of these rocks. Good, sure. I'll get this one here. Yeah, that does it. Something in that hole in the side of the big rock. Uh, what is it? There's something. 
Well, sack of dried fish ripped open. And there's more food in there, I think. Wait, I'll get it. This must be somebody's cache. What's a cache, Daddy? Well, it's a place where someone hides food to use later. He comes back from a trip along the same route. There's more than food in this one. Look at this, Jim. It's a bag. It's a bag of gold. The bag belongs to the bank in Dawson. Corporal, I think this gold was hidden here by Hank Sims. You mean the man you were chasing? That's right. He hid the gold here along with a lot of supplies. And that gave him a light load to carry, and he planned to lead us off into the mountains where he could ambush us. And he'd come back, pick up the gold and supplies. Or maybe he thought he'd get over the border and come back after we'd stopped chasing him. You see, uh, he couldn't have made it with a heavy load of gold. And uh, now you can take the gold back to the bank. Yes, thanks to Frisky. But how did Frisky get in there? And why didn't he come out the same way and come home? Well, Jane, I think Frisky went exploring. He must have smelled the food in here with the gold, squeezed to a crack between the rocks. But after he ate all he could, his stomach was too big to get out again, so he probably just lay down and went to sleep. But he always gets thin when he hasn't eaten for a while. But when he's thin, dear, he's hungry. So when he woke up, he filled up again and couldn't get out. Well, come on, Gorbo. Let's get the rest of the gold out of here. All right, Sergeant. That pup is sure a little glutton. Oh, but I love him. And I love King, too. So, Tommy... That's how we got the gold back for the bank. Some of it was your father's, I think. Gee, Sergeant, and that was swell. I hope I can train my pup the way you did King. Oh, it isn't hard if you're patient. We're sure lucky that you thought the pup was just as important to find as gold. What well, was important, Tommy. A dog is a good friend. And a faithful friend is much more important than gold. Isn't it, King? <coughs> The Challenge of the Yukon, a copyrighted feature, is brought to you each week at this time, and all characters, names, and incidents used are fictitious. Listen again next week to another exciting adventure during the days of the gold rush. L. Prow speaking. This program came to you from Detroit. Eavesdropping can be excused. That is, if it's done by way of the candid microphone, a new and different show that we bring you every Sunday night over most of these ABC stations, this novel experiment in radio uses no actors and no scripts. You hear nothing but the honest reactions of citizens in all walks of life to various everyday questions and situations. As the candid camera catches people off guard and reveals them in unposed photographs, so a candid microphone brings conversations of people to the air in unrehearsed scenes from everyday life. And that's exactly what is done on Candid Microphone. ABC's roving reporter, aided and abetted by a candid microphone, catches people as they are in varying circumstances, mad, glad, sad, working, playing, shopping, or just talking. For entertainment that's fresh and different, join us when Candid Microphone talks out tomorrow night over most of these same ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Tonight, we get the scoop on Fibber McGee's idea of world travel. <laughs> the Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly.
makers of Johnson's Wax, Johnson's Car New, and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. things so badly they never fail to send their ever-loving wives into gales of scornful laughter. One, sew on buttons. Two, change the scenery on a baby. <laughs> and three, pack a suitcase. Get a load of number three as we meet Fibber McGee and Molly. Hey, Molly, did you leave this suitcase of mine in a damp place someplace? Why, of course not. Why? Well, it's shrunk. I can't get the stuff into it I used to get into. <laughs> Look, there's hardly room for my black shoes. Mm, so I see. Are you packing your tan shoes, too? I already got those in. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you going to wear on the train? Just your socks? Huh? Oh, my gosh. I packed both pair of shoes. Sure you did. Oh, well. It's just a short trip. I can wear my tennis shoes. <laughs> did tell me why we were taking this trip to Middleton. I got to see a friend of mine on some very important business. Now, let me see. I got my fishing tackle, my squirt gun. What? Why the squirt gun? That's in case we have to come home on a night train. I always get a berth above some guy that snores. <laughs> I'll see what else. Hey, you better get packed, Molly. We haven't got much time. Say, I've been packed for two hours, yeah? and I still don't know why. You know, I have a sneaking suspicion this trip is silly and unnecessary. What do you mean, Unnecessary. I got to see a guy in Middleton that's home for a few days from Washington, and that may mean my whole future is at stake. Your future. Yeah. Let's just sit here and live in the past. (laughs) This is a necessary trip. This will affect the whole post-war travel industry of America. You don't say. I do indeed say. This is the correct... This is the greatest idea I ever had. In the years to come, the name of McGee is going to be anonymous with travel. No. You mean synonymous. I do not. Synonymous means moving pictures. That's cinnamon. Huh? That's cinnamon. Horse feathers. Cinnamon is a spice that they never put enough of in apple pie. Nah, that's cinnamon. Cinnamon? Oh. I don't suppose you'd be thinking of those fish that swim up the Columbia River every year to pawn their young. Now, you mean salmon and you mean spawn, and I'm not thinking any such thing. Well, then, doggone it, what's anonymous? Anonymous means without a name. Exactly. Only now it's got a name, and the name is McGee. The McGee system of world travel. Well, by an odd coincidence, my name is McGee, too. So would you mind breaking to me uh, gently, of course? All right. Very simple. Just buy up a couple of old aircraft carriers. Yeah. Get a few planes and some good pilots, and whammo. I can land tourists anywhere in the world without even docking the boat. You get it? 
Well, heavenly days, you've actually got an idea there, Jimmy. Why, of course I have. It's going to revolutionize travel. <laughs> That's why this trip is so important. This is government business. Have we got time to have a little lunch? No, we'll eat on the train. Oh. They say the dining cars are so crowded and so short of help now, it's hard to get anything to yeah. eat, so I'm putting up a little box lunch for us. Oh, that's swell. Just like old times. Sure. You know, I feel guilty about uh, going on this trip, McGee. What do you mean, guilty? Well, we shouldn't travel unnecessarily now. And if I stay home, that's one more seat for a soldier sailor. Oh, what have they got to do that's as important as what I got to do? Oh, just win the war is all. Nothing urgent. Oh. <laughs> a couple of seats on the train ain't going to lose the war. Come on, get your grip and we'll get over Look, there. Look, McGee, why can't you do your business by mail or even by telegram? Because this is a thing where I got a pound on a guy's desk and shout at him. You can't do that in all that. Oh, for the love of We never started any place yet that we didn't have a few dear, dear friends drop in for a lovely, lovely chat. Yeah. And the way they keep coming back after we brush them off, you'd think they were lint and we were blue serge. Yeah. Come in. Hello, Mrs. McGee. Hello, Mr. McGee. Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hi, Wimp, old man. I haven't got much time to bat the fat with you on account of we're grabbing the iron horse for Middleton in a few minutes. Little business trip. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I may see you at the station then, folks. Oh. I'm going to meet a few trains. Oh. Sweetie Face has been away on a trip, you know. Oh. oh, what time is she coming in, Mr. Wimple? Friday at 4.30. Well, then what you meeting today's trains for? Oh, I just thought it would be fun to see some trains come in that didn't have Sweetie Face on them. <laughs> <laughs> she sent me a postcard and said the trains were so crowded it was no fun traveling now. No, I guess not, Wimp. Between the Army and the Navy and the civilians, the railroads have bitten off about as much as they can choo-choo. <laughs> if you get what I mean, and you should, because that's one of my simpler jokes. <laughs> uh. Say, uh, where's your wife been, Mr. Wimple? She went to one of the Eastern Army camps, Mrs. McGee, oh. for a two-week special commando training course. Oh. <laughs> She's learning 43 new ways to kill a man. <laughs> New ways? Yes. She knew 57 before she left and wanted to make it an even hundred. <laughs> She's been gone ten days now. Heavenly days. Yes. Ten heavenly days. <laughs> Personally, Wimp, I'd be a touch twitchy about living with a wife that could bump me off in a hundred different ways. Oh, I'm not afraid, Mr. McGee. <laughs> I have a few little tricks of my own. Uh, such as what, Mr. Wimple? Oh, such as hiding a little bottle of nitroglycerin. Hiding it where? <laughs> In her punching bag. <laughs> well, I'll probably see you at the station. Goodbye now. Folks. So long.
many days, McGee. Did you ever see such a busy place? Yeah. Did you ever see so many lads in uniform? Yeah. Every bench is full of them. Yeah. And they're all looking very thoughtful, too. <laughs> this must be the army of preoccupation. <laughs> <laughs> you get it, Molly? Thoughtful, preoccupation. It's a play on words. It ain't funny, McGee. <laughs> <laughs> ain't, huh? I gave Bob Hope three jokes about she was so fat that and trade for it, too. <laughs> By the way, did you make reservations for Middleton, dearie? They wouldn't make any reservations. Said everything was full up. Our only chance is for somebody to make a cancellation. Well, I told you we had no business traveling anywhere these days. Uh... Citizens ought to sit and let the troops have the trips. Yeah, but I tell you, this is important stuff. The McGee system of post-war travel is one of the greatest ideas... Well, anybody... hello there, kids. Gone someplace? Hello, Mr. <laughs> yes, uh, McGee is going to see a man in Middleton about promoting an idea. Fellow from Washington, old-timer. He's a big man down there. That's so? I got a cousin down in Washington, Johnny. He's a bureaucrat. <laughs> no, you mean bureaucrat. No, bureaucrat. Huh? He creates bureaus for people that got no place to put their furniture. <laughs> Washington's pretty crowded now, kid. Well, if this idea of mine goes the way I think it will, we'll most likely move into the White House, old-timer. Yeah, and if it goes the way your ideas usually go, we'll move into the doghouse. <laughs> anyway, if Washington is too crowded, I'll move my headquarters to New York. Getting kind of ahead of yourself, ain't you, Johnny? Huh? It's always been a big job for you to move your hindquarters. <laughs> Is that so? Well, let me tell you, old man. Now, take it easy, McGee. And you better be doing something about tickets or we won't go anyplace, which will be all right with me. Well, I won't keep you kids any longer. But if you'll take my advice, you'll get onto the streetcar and go home. Oh, yeah? Yes, sir. Look at all them boys in uniform. Bad enough for them to be fighting Japs and Germans without having to fight Americans for a seat in a train. Think it over, Johnny. Why, that nosy old grave digger. Here I am with the most important government project of the century. Well, I think and... he's right, McGee. Your idea may be good, but it's not a government project. Well, neither was the war till it was forced onto us. And this idea of mine is going to be the Pearl Harbor of transportation. It's going to wake people up. It's going to... Hey, let's get to the information desk while we got a chance. All right, I'll go with you and help you think up some funny questions. Hi, sis. What about trains to Middleton? Yes. Yes, what, dearie? Yes, there are trains to Middleton. Doggone it, I know there's trains to Middleton, but when? 1.32 a.m., 4.27 a.m., 8.50 a.m., 11 a.m., 2.56 p.m., 6.18 p.m. at midnight. Do you like to travel with the cream of society? Absolutely, sis. Then I'd suggest the Jersey Special at 4.27 a.m. That's the milk train. <laughs> Is it uh, true that the trains are pretty crowded right now, dearie? Yes, madam. But you must realize that space for civilian travel is necessarily restricted because of troop movements and war business. Well, this is a fine state of how do you do. Who's in charge of transportation for the government anyway? I'm going to write that guy a dirty letter. Mr. Joseph B. Eastman. Oh, he'll help us. We've been using one of his cameras for years. <laughs> Splendid. I'm sure he'll send you one of his best negatives. Oh. Excuse me, please. <laughs> yes. Looks like we'd be eating our box lunch right here in the station. Maybe. It's an outrage, that's what it is. My gosh, you'd think we were asking for a special train on a private track with a crew of cover girls. All we want is a seat on one of their sooty old bone shakers. You're being slightly unreasonable, dearie. Unreasonable, my clavicle. 
Is it unreasonable? Is it unreasonable to want to go a mere 250 miles to transact some legitimate business? Certainly not, sweetheart. Well... What if some soldier sailor does have to spend his 10-day furlough in a railroad station because some civilians grabbed all the accommodations? Oh, well... Maybe they like railroad stations. Uh... They can have fun playing red cap as long as they're left holding the bag anyway. <laughs> well, you wait on the McGee system of transportation. Well, hello is... there, folks. Where are you bound for? Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Hi, Junior. Do you smell something burning? No, what's burning? I am. He wants to go see a man in Middleton on business, Mr. Wilcox, and there's no space on the train. Yeah. Well, what might he think there would be? You heard about the war, pal? Huh? You see, it all started when the Japs smacked us at Pearl Harbor. Oh, then... darn it, of course I know about the war. Well, then you ought to know better than to try to travel on trains these days, pal. They've got all they can handle with soldiers and sailors and government employees and military supplies. I'm practically a government official myself, Wilcox. Or I will be as soon as they take a gander at my two new transportation system. Yeah. <laughs> and Mr. Wilcox, he won't be happy till he gets that system out of his briefcase. <laughs> or gets that briefcase out of his system, either one. Well, take it easy, friend. These days, railroads are like a kitchen linoleum. Oh, my gosh, there he goes. <laughs> When they have to handle too much traffic, something has to be done about it. Now, with the railroads, they have to cut down on traveling. With linoleum, the best treatment is Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. You ever have a shoe come off in your hand, dragging them in by the heels like that? (laughs) Protection, that's the answer. The railroads have to protect themselves against breakdowns and overloading by persuading people not to travel unnecessarily. Just like linoleum is protected against wear and dampness and grinding dirt particles by Johnson's glow coat. And I'll bet the railroads wish they had some system of protection as easy to use as glow coat that they could just apply and let dry and have the whole job done in 20 minutes or less. Say, what are you doing down here at the railroad station, Mr. Wilcox? Well, I was waiting for somebody. Who? You. What do you want to see McGee about? I had a message for him. Well, give it to me. What was the message? Oh, the usual one about Johnson's glow coat. I just gave it to you. So long now. (laughs) You know, he's getting so he follows you all over town just to tell you about Johnson's products, dearie. Yeah, I know, I know. He keeps hoping he'll floor me, and the minute he does, I'll be glow-coated from scalp to scupper. <laughs> I sometimes think he'd... Look, McGee, here's your chance to get to the ticket limit. Uh, oh, oh, come on, hurry, man. Hi, bud. Thank you. Uh, Middleton, sir. Sorry, sold out. Uh, but look, bud, this is a very important uh, government business. I'm... Oh, I'm... don't give me that government business business, brother. I've heard all the switches on that gag. Yeah, but if you have any cancellations on the train to Middleton... If I do, lady, you're number 739 in line for him. Why don't you go home and bake a cherry pie? Don't you talk that way to my wife, you big rubber stamp wrestler. You keep a civil tongue between your teeth while you still got teeth. I got a good note to... Move along, please. Next. Well, personally, McGee, I'm convinced. Well, I'm not. I got a legitimate reason for traveling. And by the cast-iron cowcatcher of Casey Jones, I'm going to get to... Uh Uh-oh. McGee, here comes Mrs. Uppington. Oh, fine. That's all I needed. <laughs> One look at that prune post old powder pigeon, and I'm as happy as a flea in a fox farm. If that superannuated old water spot... Hush, I... hush. I'll admit she's a nuisance. Ah, hello there, Abigail, darling. It's so nice. Uh, how do you do, Mr. McGee? And Mr. McGee? Hi. <laughs> 
on earth is the matter with you, Mr. McGee? Oh, perhaps you're having the same difficulty I am. Well, he's got his nose out of joint because he can't get a seat on a train, Abigail. It's ridiculous, that's what it is. Keeping a businessman off the train when he's got the greatest transportation idea of the century in his briefcase, and he can... Hey, where's my briefcase? Uh, under your arm, uh, Mr. McGee. Where? Which arm? Your left arm. Uh, no, the other one. Oh, Oh, yeah. I think there's spies around here, Molly. I'd have swore I had this briefcase under the other arm. Uh, are you traveling with important documents, Mr. McGee? Well, he isn't exactly traveling, Abigail, but he has a pretty good idea in that briefcase. What do you mean, pretty good? Look, Uppy, you've done a lot of traveling, haven't you? Oh, I have indeed, Mr. McGee. I have circumnavigated the globe three times. Not only that, but she took a trip around the world once, too, McGee. <laughs> Well, then you ought to be a judge, Uppy. Look, what if you could get on a boat in New York, sail for two days, hop in an airplane, and land anywhere you wanted to in Europe inside of six or eight hours? <laughs> Why not take an airplane in the first place? I imagine after the war, the clippers will go almost everywhere. Heavenly days, I never thought of that. Ah, but I did. With the McGee system, Uppy, you don't have to depend on regular schedules, see? Make up your mind at the last minute and go any place you want to in practically your own private plane. He's got the idea all worked out, and he wants to go see a man from Washington who's in Middleton, Abigail. Yes, and I can't get a seat on one of their flat-wheeled old cinder buckets. <laughs> Imagine that. Me, the greatest brain in the transportation industry. Ain't that a laugh? I think it's splendid. Huh? Why, Abigail? Mrs. McGee, I came down here to meet my nephew, who was in the Marines. Huh? He had five days' liberty before leaving the country. And what happened? What happened? I just received a wire that he had to go back to camp because there was no room on the train. And why? Because selfish... I'm thinking me first civilians have taken all the extra space. So don't complain to me about your petty troubles, Mr. McGee. If you insist on being bullheaded, why don't you take a cattle car? Goodbye. The King's Men sing In My Arms. His cousin had sent him a sweater and his sister wrote a letter. But he wanted something much better This boy who was sailing away For his buddies were there with their sweethearts All around him with their sweethearts Now he never had any sweethearts And over and over he'd say In my arms, in my arms Ain't I never gonna get a girl in my arms In my arms, in my arms Can't keep your knitting and your purling if I'm going to go to Berlin. Give me a girl in my arms tonight. In my arms, in my arms. Ain't I never going to get a girl in my arms. In my arms, in my arms. Ain't I never going to get a bundle of charms. Comes the dawn, I'll be gone. All those presents you gave me were right. Oh, that sweater really ought to wear well, but I could use a warmer farewell. Give me a girl in my arms Comes along, I'll be gone And back home, everybody help all your might If it's really your ambition to pass a little ammunition Give me a girl in my arms tonight Comes along, I'll be gone And there ain't a pretty little armful inside I've got photographs to pin up But if you want to keep my chin up Give me a girl in my arms tonight In my arms, in my arms Get a girl in my arms, in my arms, in my arms. 
I had a girl I wouldn't trifle, but who can hug and kiss a rifle? Give me a girl in my arms, give me a girl in my arms, give me a girl in my arms tonight. Fine thing. Guy with legitimate business to transact somebody with can't even get a seat on a train. It's a dirty imposition. Pushed around like a hobnailed peasant. It's discriminatory, that's what it is. I'm a patient man, but by George... Oh, stop your grousing, McGee. Well, gee whiz. Anybody think this war was a plot against you personally? Well... The railroads now are for soldiers and sailors who want to go places and do things. Not for people like us who just want to go places. Well, my gosh, I don't... Did you ask the man about the cancellations? Yes, and all I got was an evasive answer. Told me to go stuff an ostrich. <laughs> I got a good notion. Oh! Oh, there's Doc Gamble. Hi, Doc. Hello there, McGee. Hello, Mrs. McGee. Meeting somebody? No, Doctor. We're trying to get a seat on the train to Middleton. Without any spectacular success so far. Is it a matter of life and death that you go to Middleton? Well, no, but gee... And why don't you stay home? But you see, Doctor... McGee... All I can see is a lot of home-hating hobos with more money than cents cluttering up the country's transportation system with their little penny-ante projects and their fishing trip. Huh? A lot of short-sighted stoops with ants in their itineraries. <laughs> yeah, but look, Doc, I got a very important hunk of business to transact a guy with. It'll mean a great deal to this government after the war. It ain't right that I'm being kept off a train just because a lot of other people haven't got sense enough to stay home. Is it? Take off your shirt, McGee. <laughs> There you go again. Take off your shirt. Take off. What for? Just for a gag. I want to stuff it in your mouth to keep you from talking about how important you are. <laughs> Why, when I see self-inflated little big shots keeping servicemen from getting seats on trains, keeping them from seeing their families before they go someplace to save the country for people like you, it gives the Darwinian theory a beautiful new meaning. We've certainly descended from monkeys. Good day. <laughs> What's the Darwinian theater got to do with monkeys? You know, I'd hate to be a doctor and understand people as well as he does. Yeah. What a bedside manner. Take a crab apple a day to keep that doctor away. Better stand to one side, McGee. A train just came in. We'll get trampled in the rush. Boy, look at him. Hurrying and scurrying like a swarm of... Oh, my gosh, there's Don Stauffer. Who's Don Stauffer? He's the guy from Washington. I was going to go to Middleton to see about my idea. Hey, Don! Hey! Oh, hello there, McGee. Glad to see you. Molly, this is Mr. Stauffer. Stauffer, old man, my wife. How do you do, I'm sure. How do you do? Sorry I can't stop and talk, McGee. Have an appointment in ten minutes. Uh, but look, I got the most wonderful idea, uh, Don. Write but... me a letter about it. I'm working on a very important project right now. Something secret? Well, not necessarily. We're thinking of buying up all aircraft carriers after the war... And using them for ocean tourist travel. Carry a lot of small planes to land people anywhere in the world in just a few hours. <laughs> well, nice to have seen you, McGee. <laughs> Hope we'll meet again, Mrs. McGee. If you'll excuse me now, I'll just... Oh, well, how do you like that? They stole my idea. They picked my brain. Oh, they... no, they didn't either, dearie. Somebody else was bound to think of it. Huh? After all, there are other people in the world that are just as smart as you are. Yeah, I suppose they are. <laughs> Gee whiz, I had a swallow. Hey, McGee, I'm all worn out with all this stand around. Let's sit down on the bench and open up the lunch. Right. It's so late that we'll have oh, to... Oh, my gosh, Molly, the lunch. Look. Look where? That guy over there, he's eating our lunch right out of the shoebox. I'll fix him. But, McGee, you must... Hey, you, you big lunch napper. What do you think you're doing? That's the problem. Have the book I stabbed the horde of... Oh, 
unlikely story. You got a lot of nerve grabbing our lunch. Now, McGee, please. Doggone it, if he was that hungry, I'd have bought him a sandwich. You put that box down, you pickle thief, or I'll dribble your skull around the station like a basketball. First, you come and grab his basket trap, you must go never to grab the gift. Who puts his thumb out of the board of the duck together? Never. McGee, leave him alone. He's a foreigner. He doesn't understand, and besides. Besides I... nothing, I'll teach him to sabotage our sandwiches. Drop that grub, bub, and I'll give you a lesson in the manly art of assault and battery. Come on, He's dropped the lunch. Here. He hardly touched it. Poor fellow was scared to death. Now sit down and calm yourself. Okay. Let me take a sandwich. Help yourself. Hmm, this looks good. Garlic sausage on rye bread. I'll have one. What? Garlic sausage on rye bread. Yeah. Want a bite? It's wonderful. (laughs) Hmm. You sure put up a swell lunch, baby. I could eat it sitting here. McGee. Huh? This isn't our lunch. Huh? I just remembered I left ours in the taxi cab. You, you, you mean that guy wasn't... He he didn't... Uh, I shouldn't... You hadn't... Oh, sure. Ladies and gentlemen, when you have sons and brothers, yes, and sisters and daughters in the service, it's nice to have them come home when and if they can. And it's heartening to know that the railroads of this country are doing a tremendous job of transporting essential military and civilian supplies. So let's not get in their way. Let's not do any traveling that isn't absolutely necessary. That's right. The fish will still be biting and the scenery will still be here after the war. So let's all pack our suitcases back in the closet. Good night. Good night, all. The characters of Wallace Wimple and the Old Timer heard on our program were played by Bill Thompson. This is Marla Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you all to join us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Crime Classics, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.